the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here we are, middle of the weekday, hump day, over the hill day, closer to Friday than we were on Monday, and uh, start off by bringing you up to date on a couple of uh, races for uh, state representative. I just got this uh, late last night, so let me share it with you. Ashley Hudson defeats Jim Sorvillo in District 32 by 25 votes. Let me give you that again. Ashley Hudson has uh, unseated Jim Sorvillo. He was running for re-election in District 32. Carlton Wing has held on to the District 38 seat over Matthew Stalling by 16 votes. So uh, for people who tell you, eh, I just I'm not going to go. It don't matter. You know, my vote don't matter. Oh, yeah, it does. It does matter. And you want to be out there uh, getting out and uh, doing your civic duty. And I know Carlton Wing is happy about that. I think probably what helped him are the uh, uh, military votes that came in at the end. Now, with that said, I need to get some people on from the Pulaski County Election Commission. Uh, We need to get... Evelyn Gomez back on and um, maybe some of the other folks because um, there's been a lot of things said over the last few days about people not having very much confidence in uh, the election that went down here just a couple of weeks ago. So we'll get them on and, and hear what they have to say and why. I know that just the other day, uh, and this is Heidi, this is the stuff that I talk about on here. They found a box of votes of ballots in a closet. Now, my question is, what is it doing in the closet? Two, how did it get lost? I mean, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered there. And whoever was in, you know, in charge of that needs to be let go. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that. They need to be let go. So um, we'll see if we can't get to more of that story here in the very near future. Wanted to talk about something that, um, when it happened, was very, very startling and uh, crazy. Has given us some terminology uh, that we say, uh, now, when we're talking about people who are um, 
obsessed with something, and we say they drank the Kool-Aid, a lot of people don't even know where that term came from. And it came from something that happened 45 years ago today. Some of you will remember this. Some of you weren't even born then. And it, it is a cautionary tale that you need to know about. Because it was on this day in 1975 that the Reverend Jim Jones, the religious cult leader and civil rights activist, hinted at things to come. Here's what he said. I love socialism. And I'm willing to bring it about. But if I did, I'd take a thousand with me. He said that during a sermon at his People's Temple Church in San Francisco just two years later, uh, yeah, he, did, he did just that. And those words became reality when more than 900 people, one-third of them children, died during what would be known as the Jonestown Massacre, one of the worst mass killings in American history. Uh, just unbelievable. Unbelievable what went down. I mean, he started in Indianapolis in the 50s. He then went out to uh, California Ended up outside of San Francisco. Became more and more paranoid, Jones did. Was losing his grip on his sanity. But had people people believing in him. I mean, big time. People believing in him. Uh, preached a false gospel, just so you know. And um, finally, talked people into selling all their worldly goods and moving to Guyana to Jonestown, a tract of land that his church bought. And his lieutenants went down there and started getting it together. And then the people went down there and they were, they were promised that they were going to eat, you know, chicken, lamb and steak every day. And, uh, they would, uh, you know, work uh, in the fields together and they would raise their own food and they would have a utopia. Well, when they got there, it was anything but a utopia. There was no water at the area that they were at. They would form bucket brigades during the hottest part of the year and literally form chains like you see in the movies when they're trying to put fires out back in the old days and they were throwing buckets of water at the fire. That's how they were uh, uh, watering the plants. So they, they were doing that. There was such a thin layer of soil in the area that they, they were trying to live in. They couldn't grow up any plants. Not possible. They couldn't do it. They tried and they couldn't do it. It was impossible. Now, during this time, Jones was telling the people that the government was out to get them. And uh, there, was, there was no opportunity for people to plot to get away 
They were stuck where they were at. Uh, Jim Jones had learned from the East Germans, and he had infiltrated the people with, uh, you know, uh, people who would snitch on them if they said anything, and then those people just kind of disappeared or they were punished harshly. So there was no time for anybody to plot. Uh, when Jones would get on the, um, the the microphone, they had they had uh, speakers strung throughout uh, Jonestown where they were at, and when the people heard his voice, everybody was to stop talking and listen. And Jim Jones talked incessantly. So there wasn't any time for you to talk to your neighbor and and uh, say, well, do you like what what's going on here? And things of that nature. Uh, things came to a head following a visit to Jonestown by U.S. Uh, Congressman Leo Ryan of California, who traveled to Guyana along with a media crew and a handful of cultist relatives to investigate abuse allegations. Ryan was spurred to visit Jonestown after hearing word from a friend and former People's Temple member who couldn't reach family members at the commune, as well as an affidavit from a Deborah Blakely, a Jones aide who sought refuge at the American embassy who recounted the goings-on at Jonestown. Now, when Ryan showed up, they were met at the airport by Jim Jones' uh, people for several weeks before Ryan came. They literally took people aside, people that they're going to let Ryan talk to, and rehearsed them on what they were to say. Like if they ask him what they were eating, or they tell him all these great vegetables and chicken, lamb, and and, uh, steak. They were eating that. In fact... Uh, when uh, Ryan got there and they did that song and dance and that Jones had been rehearsing the people with, uh, Ryan and the media uh, believed them, even though the people were starving. They were starving to death here. Most of them were nothing more than, you know, skin and bones. You know, Ryan is fooled by that he actually believed that people are happy there but as the group was preparing to leave the commune uh someone slipped ryan's aid a note asking for help and then all hell broke loose uh, they weren't supposed to have any contact with ryan his entourage or the media so when jones hears about that uh and and hears about the note what happens is that he tells Ryan's group to get out of there and he realizes the house of cards that he has built is starting to crumble. And uh, since it's starting to crumble, he goes off the edge. I mean, he was already suffering from mental illness. He was already a drug addict and there were some real, real problems. So Ryan's group along with 14 defectors, returned to the airstrip to leave, but there weren't any planes waiting for them. Finally, two airplanes show up, and as they are starting to board the airplanes, this tractor 
is pulling a, a trailer behind it, and all these men pop out and start shooting at the people who are about to board the airplane. Killed one of the defectors, three media people, and the congressman. The rest of them got away. I mean, it's just it's such a terrible story. And, and, you know, we say people drink the Kool-Aid willingly. Uh, That's not the way it worked at Jonestown. Uh, The death tape that so many people have heard have been edited uh, many times. It, it was edited right after it occurred, this occurred, and uh, they believed that Jones stopped the tape any time any kind of ruckus arose, and there was a lot of it. Evidently, it was pure pandemonium at times. They had the children. The children did not drink the Kool-Aid. I want, I want you to visualize this in your mind, how terrible this was. He took these children, a third, over 300 children, and they had adults that were, quote, nurses and doctors. And they took, uh, they mixed up cyanide, a, uh, a drug that would knock people out, and Kool-Aid. Mixed it all together, filled up syringes, would take the children, force their mouths open, stick the syringes in their mouth, and force them to swallow the concoction. And it killed them. Of course it killed them. Took about five minutes is what they're saying. When authorities showed up the next day, they found around the commune 909 people dead their bodies already decomposing into heat jones had used armed guards people with uh, crossbows and rifles to force the people to take uh the uh, the kool-aid and if they didn't uh it was going to be a forced suicide you're going to be shot you were going to die one way or the other jones shot himself So uh, 45 years ago, people put their their beliefs in one man and uh, followed him into death. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. I, uh, I was a senior in college when that occurred. Do I understand it today? Nope. I don't understand it today. I just know this. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. All right, 20 minutes after 6 on a uh, Wednesday, Judy was planning to retire. She needed to sell her home in Maumelle. Four times she tried to sell her home with no success. Then she spoke with Dustin Turner, and he explained his proven marketing plan. Although Judy wasn't optimistic, I mean, who would be after being trying to do it, sell her home for a long, long time? And uh, trying four times and it not working. But now she talks to Justin, uh, Dustin, and Dustin tells her here's how to do it. And she's shocked when just two weeks later, Dustin had an offer for a home. Now, if you want your home listed, contact any agent. 
But if you want your home sold, what you need to do is talk to Dustin Turner. I mean, is your home still on the market? Are the only offers coming to you lower than you hoped for? Well, Dustin Turner with the home team brokered by EXP Realty can give you an instant cash offer if you want without the large hidden fees. Skip the prepping, showings, and open houses. Basically, go straight to sold, or he can bring you a negotiate to multiple offers to get the most money for your home. So call the only agent that I would call, and probably will be calling here within the next year because I'll be looking to sell my home here in the near, very near future. If I needed to sell my home, I'd talk to Dustin Turner. Call Dustin Turner today at 501-952-2969. That's 501-952-2969. Or go online to hometeamsoldit.com. That's hometeamsoldit.com. And start packing. All right, we're down to just a few moments before we get to the news at the bottom of the hour. I wanted to go back and... and just talk a little bit more about Jonestown. A uh, lady who wrote a book, Julia Shears, the name of the book, A Thousand Lives, The Untold Story of Hope, Deception, and Survival of Jonestown, talks about why some of the people who survived that day really take exception to the whole, you know, um, drinking the Kool-Aid. She says that uh, the tape recording from the last night, the so-called death tape, had been edited dozens of times. She said, it's my belief that Jones was pausing and stopping the tape anytime there was any disruption, any interruption, or anytime anyone was protesting what was happening. He wanted the world to think this was some uniform decision, that they willingly killed themselves for socialism to protest the inhumanity of capitalism. And he gave various reasons for the mass death. It's heartbreaking. You can hear him instructing parents not to tell their children they're dying because it's scaring them. You can hear the children at the beginning of the tape murmuring, making kids noises in the background. And then you hear the kids begin to scream. You can hear them saying, no, it's a horrific scene which is why the whole drinking the Kool-Aid saying is so odious and so completely wrong. A third of the people who died that night were minors under 18. It's an extremely offensive saying. And, uh, you know, I, I look at if you use that saying, it runs both ways. There's a lot of people that are running towards socialism in this country have no idea what they're running to. Uh, they're hearing people tell them, you're going to get free this, you're going to get free that, we're going to take care of you. And that's not the way that story ends. Go to any country that uh, has practiced socialism as pure as they can, and uh, you'll find death and destruction follow it. Venezuela, you know, Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, China, go on and on. Guyana, another example. People die. 
because there's always somebody at the top, the very top, that's making the decision for you. And in this case, it was Jim Jones, and his decision is that you had to die. Applied research looking for people to be part of a study on COVID-19, and uh, Donna has come in, and she's here today from Applied Research, and she's brought with her Dr. Wilbur, yes. uh, correct? That's correct. Okay. And he is, are you the, Are you heading up this study, Doc? Yes, sir. I'm the principal investigator of this study. Okay. So uh, this is uh, AstraZeneca. Is that who's behind this one? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So now we've heard from Pfizer. We've heard now from Madeira. And now we're going to hear from AstraZeneca. There's a lot. Let me just ask this. Did Donald Trump do the right thing in doing a Manhattan Project uh, for this kind of uh, a vaccine for this particular virus? Well, as a frontline health worker, I'm a board-certified emergency physician on the front lines. Okay. Um, and so, and I even had COVID myself. And so I, I think I've got credibility when I say that he absolutely did the right thing by creating Operation Warp Speed. Because this is what we needed when we had a virus like this, is we had to get therapeutics and a vaccine out as quick as possible, but as safe as possible. So he absolutely did the right thing. Warp speed means this, getting rid of all of the stupid rules that are out there to slow things down and allow, uh, you know, the market to do what it does and does best. And it's done it. That's correct. And also, in my opinion, a, a lot of the timing that it takes to get a drug to market is regulatory, you know. Oh, Yeah. And, and now we have different technology with vaccine research. And so uh, it, it's created in a different way, and we can uh, create the products faster and safer. And uh, when you decrease the regulation, we can actually get to market quicker and still maintain the same safety. So he did the right thing by decreasing the regulation so that we can get the, the product uh, to market faster and save a lot of lives. Okay, so let's move to the chase here. You know, I'm kind of beating around the bush a little bit. Let's get right to it. Uh, what's this study how can people get involved? Because I understand you need a lot of people to be involved in this study. So uh, let's give them all the, the ands, ifs, and buts about it. Will do. So, uh, again, I'm the principal investigator for the Phase Three AstraZeneca vaccine trial, COVID-19 vaccine trial. And we're the only site in Arkansas. Um, so, as you mentioned, there's only a few companies that have gone to Phase Three. Right. And uh, so Moderna, uh, Pfizer, and uh, AstraZeneca. So we're looking to enroll uh, in upwards of 1,500 uh, Central Arkansans uh, for this trial. And uh, eligibility is uh, age 18 or greater. And so if you're interested in this trial, please call the Applied Research Center, and mm-hmm. we'll start the enrollment process. Um, and so you mentioned the race. Um, so uh, we've seen in the news uh, that uh, these companies plan to do like a, an emergency uh, use authorization to the Food and Drug Administration. Mm-hmm to get to market uh, quicker. Pfizer's uh, getting very close to doing that. I believe Moderna is and, and AstraZeneca within, I anticipate now, I'm, I can't say this factually yet, but I anticipate within a couple of months, they will also be releasing numbers very similar to what you're seeing with Pfizer and uh, Moderna. As cool. Well. So, so I think you're right, it's a race, uh, but does that really imply that there's only going to be one product on the market? And uh, the way that Warp Speed is set up is that uh, we're prepared to have multiple products on the market which is going to be good, you know, for the, for the population because these vaccines are, uh, appear to be very, very effective. So it's okay that there's not only going to be just one, you know, uh, we, we don't anticipate, we think there could be multiple to the market. Okay. Can you talk real quickly to how it's changed in developing a vaccine? I mean, look, I'm old and I'm as old as dirt. All right. <laughs> I remember watching 
old newsreel footage of them injecting eggs with things and making vaccines out of that. I'm assuming that's not the way we do it anymore. Well, uh, you're correct. They still do make vaccines that way. And that was part of the reason for some of the delay um, is it took a long time to incubate the vaccine yeah. that way. And, um, you know, if we go back a couple of presidential administrations, um, there was a big push in uh, one of the George Bush um, um, administrations that accelerated the technology, you know, that allows us to be uh, in our current day where we can actually have the technology to do these RNA viruses and like the AstraZeneca vaccine and things like that. So technology has come a long way, you know, in preparation for a pandemic like this. And so where the technology is now is uh, many of those vaccines in the past um, would use a, a either a live virus. You know, they're actually injecting you with a with a live virus so that your immune system would uh, kind of kick in mm-hmm. or an attenuated or, in other words, a sort of a killed virus. And your body would recognize that these vaccines are different. These vaccines are safer than that. And those, those were the old vaccines where you had to incubate them in eggs and things like that. Uh, but now this is really using genetic precision, you know. And um, so these vaccines, uh, they essentially use the genetic material uh, of the virus we're trying to target. So if you can imagine, the way viruses work in common terms is when they get into our bodies, they attach to our cells, and they're kind of the ultimate parasite. They can't really do anything on their own. But when they attach to our cells, they inject their genetic material in the cells to do whatever that virus wants to do, to express various proteins, things like that. Well, what we can do with these vaccines is we can get, you know, a a very specific genetic material to be put into our cells, and then our cells will actually make the protein or in otherwise, in other words, the antigen that our body will then recognize. And so that's where we make the army of, you know, the killer cells and the antibodies and the T cells to then recognize that. And so that what's make that's what makes them so much safer is you cannot get the coronavirus from these vaccines. So I think that's where the listeners need to be, you know, sort of um, brought up to speed is you will not get the coronavirus from this vaccine that, you know, there's a common misperception of, you know, you're giving me a, a killed virus or a live virus. I'm going to actually get the disease. That is not the case with these vaccines. So they're much, much safer. Yeah. I mean, look, I understand people being worried because of all the crap that was out there on the Internet about a disproved study in Lancet from a British doctor who cooked the books better. And then you had a female actress that had two great assets and uh, went out and convinced people they shouldn't get vaccinated. I believe we've seen, you know, diseases that I saw eradicated when I was a young person that are coming back because... People are believing ridiculous things on the Internet and not science. So uh, this is good news of what you're telling us. It's very good news. All right. So, Donna, let me turn to you. Uh, 501-954-7822. That's correct. That's the number to call. Right. All right. What's going to happen when somebody calls that number that says, you know, yeah, tell me about this COVID-19 thing? Mm Mm-hmm. We'll answer the phone. We'll go ahead and do a type of pre-screening because there's certain criteria that uh, you can get into the study. Have to be 18 years uh, old and older. Mm-hmm. Cannot have had COVID, so you okay. cannot have been positive for COVID. Uh, and yeah, because they be don't in- want you to already have a natural immunity. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then you have to be in good, stable health. So we will uh, take your uh, number. We'll be having people stand by on the phones, taking your uh, name, phone number. We'll go ahead and, and have you come in for uh, screening. 
it is voluntarily. Everything is voluntarily. Um, you actually will read the consent form. There's a process you have to go f- through to yeah. be able to participate in clinical research trials. So you'll read the consent form. Uh, we will be there to answer any questions once you do that, and then we'll proceed. All right. So it's really straightforward. Right. I mean, I've I've tried to get into one myself and couldn't because I was taking another medicine at the time that disqualified me. Right. But uh, I I tried. So you don't have to pay for any of the, the the medical procedures. You don't have to worry about having insurance or anything like that. That's All correct. you need to do is call 501-954-7822. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And you guys will take it from there. We'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Doc, what what what's this going to be like? I mean, are you going to they're going to say, yeah, you, you can be. Now we're going to sequester you for uh, three months and give you a shot or something. Or how is this going to work? No, uh, you actually live your life normally. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So to pick up on where Donald left off, um, once you're consented and once we determine your eligibility, uh, you know, which there's very few exclusion criteria. And so what that essentially means is the vast majority of people that call that are interested, they'll be enrolled in the study. Uh, cool. And uh, what they're going to experience is uh, after they're consented and after a physician or, a, or an advanced practice provider will do a physical exam on them, determine them to be eligible, uh, they'll get their first injection. Now, this is a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. So in other words, what that means is uh, the patient's blinded and me as the investigator, I'm blinded. I don't know if they're getting vaccine or if they're getting placebo. But the good news is the chances are greater that they're getting the vaccine because it's it's a two-to-one two enrollment. And what that means is uh, for every two people that get vaccine, one person gets placebo. So your chances are pretty good that you're going to get the vaccine. You get your first injection on day one when you come into us. You get your second injection on day 29. Um, uh, we uh, On day one, uh, we test you for uh, COVID-19. Um, we do some blood draw as well, looking for the presence of antibodies and a number of other blood tests. Uh, patients are enrolled for a two-year period. Now, the real reason for that two-year period is really just looking at the immune response. We... All the companies, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, we want to see how long this lasts, right? And so uh, patients will be asked to have uh, about seven clinic visits over that two-year period, you know, so it's not overly onerous, you know. Um, We check in with them weekly to see how they're doing. And um, uh, for those, and I have an awful lot of patients that, uh, you know, get the nasal swab. And like I said, I had the nasal swab too. You only get one nasal swab. That's good news, you know. (laughs) And uh, thankfully, you only get one nasal swab. But those seven visits, uh, we're checking your antibodies. That's a quick blood draw. Um, so it's really, yeah. it's, it's really, you know, um, relatively convenient and it's kind of done at your own schedule, you know? So that's what you're going to experience as a, as a patient in our trial. Okay. Bottom line is that they want to see how you react to the, you know, the vaccine. Right. If they find out you got the vaccine, they're going to say, you know, how do you feel? Did you have any, you know, did you run a fever? Did you do this? Did you do that? They're going to be asking you a lot of different questions. Correct. Correct. And the, the good news is what we have learned from AstraZeneca is uh, if it appears that this is as effective as the earlier trials would suggest, there's a chance that before the two years is up uh, that they may unblind the trial. And what that would really mean is those that got the placebo um, would then be allowed to get the vaccine as a participant. Now, we, we don't know and AstraZeneca doesn't know when that will happen, but there's a really good chance that for participants that say, well, you know, I'm going to be in this thing for two years, and I don't know if I got the vaccine. There's a pretty good chance that uh, given the, the speed at which this data is coming out and the interim analyses are coming out to give us this data, there's probably going to be a good chance that unblinding occurs much sooner. All right. 
Donna from Applied Research is here today. She's been here on the show several times. Dr. Wilbur, first time he's come in, he likes um, our, our, our decorations here in the, in the studio. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, l- l- let me ask this question. We've heard a lot about herd, you know. Herd immunity. Immun- immunity. I'm, I'm once going to use a different word. I've had Dr. Yamauchi on countless times here on my show, and we've talked about that. And uh, how long, if these, if these vaccines are as good as they're saying, I mean, this latest one from Dura is 94.5% uh, good. All right. It does what it's supposed to do. Uh, how long before we reach that? Is it like a year, six months? How long? Uh, excellent question. And unfortunately, the answer is we don't know. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't know yet. Um, for those of us like myself uh, who have already had COVID-19, um, as we know, you know, we first learned of this virus in the end of December 2019. Right. right. And so uh, we, we only have a, a few short months since the onset of this virus. And so we can't. Well, we can project, I should say, but we don't actually have real months of real data aside from January 2020 when we first learned about this. The most recent study that I saw of folks that naturally uh, got infected with uh, COVID-19, like myself, uh, they were still showing antibody response, a good immune response, seven months later. And so uh, the, the vaccines, the way that they're designed um, is they tell our own cells to express the protein that you find on the surface of the of the coronavirus. And again, you can't get coronavirus from getting the vaccine, but you express that protein, and that's essentially what was recognized in my body when I had the infection. Uh, uh, a person that gets the vaccine, that's what uh, their antibodies are going to recognize. And so when they see that coronavirus protein, they start the entire immune response, which that doesn't only involve the creation of antibodies, but there's a T-cell response or a natural killer response, things of that sort. So it appears that <clears throat> we we anticipate that there's going to be a long-lasting effect, but we can't tell you right now. Nobody can tell you right now, is this going to last for two years, five years, 10 years? Because we also don't, and virologists and epidemiologists will tell you this as well, we don't know what this virus is going to do in a number of years. However, when it comes to should we actually uh, take this vaccine or should we use a vaccine like this, by all means, absolutely we should. But we can't tell you right now how long it's going to last. And so that's why uh, all the studies are going, uh, the phase three studies are going for a couple years so that we can follow this along. All right, we're going to take a break. We've got more for you. Don't run away. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, and we're talking about COVID-19 and the future. I want to talk about the future and when is this stuff going to be done. We'll talk about it some more when we come back. All right, we're back. Let's go uh, talk some more uh, with Dr. Wilbur, who is with us. He's going to be running the study on COVID-19 that's uh, going on with Applied Research. Don't forget the number to call in so that you can take part in this, 501-954-7822. You'll be talking to Donna and and other people, and they're going to get you all set up. And evidently, if you're in good health and and stable, uh, your chances of getting involved in this are pretty good. So we need you to do it. I mean, yes, this is what we need you to do. We need you to, to do that. So, Doc, let, let's talk. Uh, I wanted to talk about transportation of the vaccine. Uh, is this going to have to be one of the vaccines? I know Pfizer, one of the problems they're going to have with theirs is that it, it's got to be transported at like 90 degrees below zero or something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of pharmacies are not going to have the wherewithal to keep it that way. Uh, Modura evidently doesn't need to be that cold. What about uh, AstraZeneca? 
Uh, that's a good question. Um, ours needs to be cold, and, and you were correct that the Pfizer vaccine is a negative 80. That's where it needs to be transported. 80, okay. That's right. And uh, Moderna is slightly warmer than that that could be in a, in a conventional freezer once it's delivered to site. And, and in, in places like America where we can design infrastructure like this, it's still going to be a relatively Herculean effort for the Pfizer vaccine. And I'm not, I'm not speaking disparaging by any means of the Pfizer vaccine. It's just to maintain that temperature for that long is going to be very difficult. But those that are the most vulnerable are going to be some of the underdeveloped countries, you know, and some of the, in the hotter climates. And you get but, to Africa, it's going yeah, to be difficult. They're going to have a difficult time um, with this process. And so what that affects is the stability of the vaccine, you know. And so AstraZeneca can be a little bit warmer. I can't tell you exactly right now what the, what the transportation temperature is going to be. Um, but one of the benefits of Operation Warp Speed is they are doing this in parallel, meaning the, the uh, distribution of the vaccine is being designed in parallel. And it's, a, it's another wonderful example of the public-private partnership you know, of how both private and uh, and public resources are going to be ready to distribute the vaccine once production is uh, ramped up, essentially. You know, so um, once the vaccines get through the FDA emergency authorization, uh, distribution will be as ready as we've ever been, you know, and we've never seen uh, vaccine distribution like this uh, before. So, uh, again, uh, kudos to those that came up with Operation Warp Speed to be able to to affect the public health in this positive way by the creation of these vaccines. So it's well done. Well, military got involved in it, and that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because let me tell you what, when you got to go to war, you got to know how to get the troops there. Right. You got to know how to get the food there. You got to know how to do all. They know how to do transportation. So it's good that the, the military got involved. Let's talk about perception, because perception very much becomes reality. If you don't get the shot, all right, don't blame me if you get the disease. I'm just saying. I'm going to be honest right now. I'm tired of being locked down. I don't want to be locked down anymore. So uh, this is a safe vaccine, correct? Uh, correct. Our our preliminary data, phase one, phase two, is very, very safe. And if, if we look at the modalities that Pfizer and Moderna are using um, in their phase three trials and what we're already seeing from our phase three trial, these appear to be very, very safe. Yes. So get the vaccine. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm being honest. You know, we, we we spend all this money of our taxpayers' money and things to 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 get the science that we need to defeat a bug like this. Get the vaccine. I agree. And I would love, with your permission, to address a little bit of the side go. effects with your listeners. Yeah, uh, go. You know, because, uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, some of the previous vaccines and some of the side effects and what some celebrities have come out and said and everything else. But what we're seeing is now already with Pfizer, uh, Moderna and with AstraZeneca, thousands and thousands of patients have already been vaccinated globally. All right. So while it sounds like we're just getting started, we're not just getting started. This is, again, phase three. And what we're seeing from an adverse event is essentially uh, patients report pain at the site of injection, which you get with every single injection study. So that's mm-hmm. common. It's a needle. Right. And then, <laughs> like with most vaccines, you can feel some uh, uh, sort of some malaise and, and feeling a, almost like a, uh, a viral infection for uh, one to three days. And okay. that, se- that tends to clear with a little bit of ibuprofen. So we're seeing that, that's the extent of the adverse event. So it appears to be very, very safe. All right. Let me give the phone number again. 501-954-7822. 501-954-7822. Get involved in the study. They need you to call 
now. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, just so you'll know, if you missed any of that, I'm going to replay that interview at 735. I think it's really important that uh, people get involved uh, in the study so that we can get a vaccine on the market. And if not one, get three of them. That would be that would be great, really would. Uh, if you didn't hear, the Moderna uh, vaccine has proven thus far to be 94.5% effective. Uh, and they're looking for healthy volunteers for this COVID-19 vaccine clinical research study. Uh, it's going on here in central Arkansas area. Uh, if you want to help research this investigational vaccine for COVID-19 by participating in the uh, trial, all you have to do is call 501-954-7822. No insurance required. You're not going to be charged any money. All you need to be is an adult and in good or stable health. And at that point, you may qualify. Congressman French Hill will join us when we come back and we'll talk with him, see what he has to report. Because, uh, you know, Democrats and, and the Republicans getting back in Congress. We'll see what happens. All right. Stay tuned. We got news coming your way. Someone called and said, uh, there's a lot of people out here that uh, are not convinced about taking the vaccine. How are you going to convince us? Well, I thought that the last half hour might have helped do that. If that doesn't do it, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. If some, uh, if they'll come, if they can come to the studio and give me the shot, I'll do it live right here on Facebook for you. You can see me get the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the vaccination for COVID-19. Uh, I'm going to be one of the first people to do it. Just what's going to happen. All right. So anyway, uh, keep that in mind. Guess who's on from, I think he's in Washington now. It's uh, Congressman French Hill. Congressman, how are you doing? Good morning, Dave. Yes, I'm back in the swamp. Good to hear your voice. Yeah. Now, it, when, when, this, when the, uh, the, the vaccine becomes available, you'll be one of the people that they'll want to give the shot to. You going to get the shot? I'm going to take the vaccine. Uh, you know, when you have a virus, uh, that's just like we have the annual flu virus. We're going to have this virus with us. And uh, I'm so impressed with uh, from the second we got the genetic di- code for this disease back in January, President Trump took quick action and the Congress put $10 billion behind that action to get the world's best companies looking for this vaccine. We started out with 100 candidates. And we're down to four that are now in human clinical trials. And two, of course, we've all read about Pfizer and now Moderna with excellent efficacy, meaning the vaccine works, works better than a lot of the flu shots that we get that sometimes are down around 50 
60% right. uh, effective. So, yes, I look forward to taking that vaccine, and I hope we get it to our teachers, our health care workers, our essential workers, first and foremost. And your favorite talk show host that's over 65. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I consider just... you part of my essential workforce. All right. Well, after a half hour, we just uh, played an interview that we did uh, with applied research and uh, with the doctor who's heading up the st- uh, study for AstraZeneca here in uh, Arkansas, and uh, I'm all about this. I'm I, I'm just so people feel good about this. I'm going. I'll get the shot on the air as soon as it's available to me. They can come here and stick me in the arm with it, and everybody can see that you know it's going to be good for you. Not a bad thing to do. But there's a lot of things to talk about here. I mean, look. We're looking at the shot, but what about helping businesses? You know, you guys are uh, up in in Washington D.C. Pelosi has been holding this up for so long. Are we going to see any of this uh, bipartisan COVID nineteen relief? Boy, I hope so, Dave. I've talked about this since June. Exactly the targeting that we need to do. We have bipartisan support for that targeting. Mrs. Pelosi stopped that forty times between the end of July and the. Uh, break for the elections the first of october so she has not been helpful she's been holding out on her wish list for opening up voting and spending two and a half trillion dollars more so look uh, the wall street journal early this morning broke the news that she says she has the votes to be reelected as speaker if she does maybe that'll make her more negotiable and that she can get with mitch mcconnell and get a bill that president trump can sign into law It helps our restaurants, our small businesses still struggling by extending the Paycheck Protection Program. Give some clarity to this unemployment insurance uh, mess that we're in so that people know, you know, uh, what the amount is for the pandemic payment and how long it's going to run. And finally, and most importantly, as we come to the end of November, let our governors have the flexibility to spend the CARES Act money past 1231-2020, which is what that act says, putting Governor Hutchison at a terrible disadvantage for some of the um, good, solid ways he wants to invest that money in Arkansas. So, you know, you just said that Pelosi says she's got the votes to get reelected speaker. So what you're telling me is that the rats are willing to go down with the ship. I mean, look, this last election was not good for Democrats, except maybe in the White House. Yeah, look, she um, could have a narrow majority, something like uh, takes 218 to have a majority in the House of Representatives. She might be at 219, uh, depending on how the uh, we have a, several more elections to be called. But we could be up at 212, 213, 214, somewhere in there with some some vacancies. So. She's on a razor's edge here. I don't know what she would have to say, do, or trade to get those votes. Um, she lost almost 20 votes when she uh, ran in 2019 for speaker. So, uh, But she's a vote counter, and I just would hate to find out uh, what those folks have agreed to to support her. She's 80 years old. She's going to lose the House in 2022. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, the Republicans will take the House back next time. We came so close this time. 
Yeah, I kept telling people that was going to be a close vote, and everybody said, nah, ain't going to happen. All the anti-Trump people are going to turn out. Well, I'm going to tell you what, the pro-Trump people turned out, and uh, in districts all across America, uh, completely uh, turned down the Democrats' idea of what where they want this country to go. That's the main takeaway from this election, is that uh, millions of people rejected this move to progressive socialism that's, that is really seen its uh, takeoff with the Bernie Sanders campaign, with the Elizabeth Warren campaign, and what Speaker Pelosi has had, almost a, you know, a majority of her members in the House of Representatives on the Democratic side of the aisle, support these big government, one-size-fits-all socialist solutions, whether we're talking about environmental policy, health policy, economic policy. They even want the Federal Reserve just to be another bank uh, where it just lends money to cities for 10 or 20 years. You know, this is is, uh, just a rejection of all the... Uh, not only the constitutional liberties in the in the Constitution, but also just our 244 years of tradition that's made this the most successful country in the world. All right, so you've got the National Defense Authorization Act. you got COVID-19 relief sitting around. And what does, uh, you know, uh, Biden have to say and a lot of Democrats? Well, what we want to do is we want to, uh, reduce uh, student debt by $10,000 a student. It's the most insane thing I've heard, Congressman. This was a trap uh, sprung by Democrats. It was Barack Obama that nationalized the student loan program as a part of the Affordable Care Act. Now, you can go figure that out later, how student loans got <laughs> enmeshed into the uh, Obamacare Affordable Care Act. But he took away underwriting and just made these loans uh, non-underwritten loans. If you wanted a loan, you just called the government and they gave you one. And it's created a $1.1 trillion problem for American families that universities just sold uh, this way of paying for college uh, just willy-nilly with no financial help to these kids for understanding what they were getting into. My preferred approach Besides so many programs that allow students to, to have their, their student loans paid off by public service, is to let our businesses use it as a recruiting tool to recruit uh, students coming out of college that have a student loan and let them pay those student loans back for the student with a tax deduction. That was in the CARES Act. It's a terrific idea. It's an idea that has overwhelming bipartisan support. It's a much better way to let the marketplace uh, deal with this. Secondly, I don't believe we should keep the government making student loans. I I agree. I think we should go back to the way it was with some improvements. But we we would never let somebody, uh, or we say we wouldn't, go out and make a mistake by buying too much house uh, for their income and their prospects. And we've done that to all these young people uh, with these horrendous student loan debts. If if you go out and you buy a car, you're expected to pay the car off. Uh, you, you know they don't. Right. They, they don't just turn around and give you ten thousand dollars. They here. This way, you don't have to pay what five, maybe eight or nine payments. No, I mean my, my view is: look, we want to have the same care and prudential approach to helping a family buy their first home or a young person buy their first car. 
which is let's explain how that works. Let's make sure they can afford the house or afford the car. Well, the same is true uh, in higher education. And we have so many kids who charge off. They get a student loan of five, $7,000. They don't finish the semester. They can't pay the loan off. Now they can't get additional help to go back to school or and it hurts their credit. I mean, it's just not the way to go. And we've been dealing with this since about 2010. And we need a different approach. All right, let's get a break in. Then we'll come back, finish up our interview with Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about PI Roofing. PI Roofing's looking to help you. I mean, I know that COVID-19 is going on. I know that uh, things are, are different. But here's one thing that's not different. Your roof is your last defense against the elements getting into your house. And you need to keep it in good repair. To do that, call PI Roofing. 707-3551. 707-3551. Same number I call. I've been using PI Roofing uh, 18 years. I've had, uh, they put on a new roof for me a little over a decade ago. I'm going to have another roof put on uh, here next year, I think, because we took some pictures here in the last few months, and you can see a lot of granular material tells me the, the uh, some of the, uh, uh, you know, shingles aren't holding up well. Well, some of those are going to be replaced absolutely free because they were under a 30-year warranty. But they need to be changed, so they'll get changed, and PI Roofing will do that for me. They'll work with my insurance agency. They'll uh, they'll get with the appraiser. They'll walk the roof. They'll make sure that I get the best deal I can possibly uh, get. Uh, they also follow all the COVID-19 things that they need to follow so you don't have to worry about uh, ending up uh, with COVID-19. They're going to keep distancing. They're, they're going to do a lot of this over the phone, and uh, they'll wear masks around you the whole nine yards. Because, it, look, they're, they want to protect their workers as well. So call them, 707-3551, or visit them online at piroofing.com. All right, let's finish up our uh, time with uh, Congressman French Hill, which we have every Wednesday here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Know that coming up in the next half hour, we're going to repeat our interview earlier uh, yesterday uh, with the folks from Ast- uh, AstraZeneca about the uh, testing of the COVID-19 vaccine here in central Arkansas and how you can get involved with that. So that's all coming up here in uh, just a few moments. Let's talk about the National Defense Authorization Act. This has been put on hold, put on hold, put on hold. You think you'll be able to get to it this week? Yeah, Dave, good question. You know, every summer, typically, we pass the Defense Authorization Act. This sets the policy for U.S. military operations, our Defense Department, our defense strategy. It authorizes pay raises for uh, our troops. It authorizes new equipment to be purchased. It normally passes on a very strong bipartisan vote in the summer. But this summer, of course, uh, Mrs. Pelosi chose to make it a very partisan bill, controversial, and it got sidelined. And so the Senate bill is a much better, more balanced bill. And uh, I think we could vote on that really as early as tonight. If we do that, I believe the bill is a good bill and it should be passed. And then we would have passed a much more bipartisan National Defense Authorization Act. Is there a little bit of uh, extra in it for the 
the troops, are they going to get any kind of a raise? <clears throat> they are going to get a pay raise. Uh, uh, I think it's a 2% pay raise. Good. It has some specific pandemic-related uh, dollars in it to help the military cope with the pandemic. You know, sometimes we just pretend, well, the military, 1.1 million people just doing their thing out there. Well, they're just like our families. They're just like our businesses. They have an obligation to protect their troops from the pandemic. And I'll tell you, out at Little Rock Air Force Base, they're doing an outstanding job. There are about 9,000 people that come and go on Little Rock Air Force Base every day, and their uh, COVID-19 cases have been negligible over this past uh, seven months. So our military is doing a great job, but we want to make sure that they have the support they need to continue that strong effort to protect us uh, from uh, global threats, but also from the ravages of the virus. We've got about four minutes left here, Congressman. Let me ask if if the Senate carries those two seats in Georgia, which would give them, uh, you know, the uh, the majority in the Senate, and we have this razor thin uh, edge uh, way that the House is going to be. Uh, are, are the leftists going to be able to get anything done, do you believe? Uh, is it going to be pretty much just gridlock for the next two years? It depends, uh, obviously, on uh, Joe Biden wins this election after every legal vote is counted. It sort of depends on the approach he takes, because the left wing would have hoped to use budget reconciliation in order to jam through a raise of taxes or a Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to have that ability when I suspect that we control the U.S. Senate and we have this narrow majority in the House. With, look, 10 or 15 seats of Democrats that are scared out of their wits because they just barely survived this time. So I believe the hardcore left agenda is been repudiated by the voters, and I think you'll see that repudiation in their inability of getting some of that far-left socialist big government approach uh, through the Congress. Uh, so... We'll have to be vigilant about the policy changes that uh, a Joe Biden administration would have as it relates to executive orders, proposals from the presidency, obviously. But I don't know if I want to predict uh, gridlock. It could be with that strong uh, majority in the Senate and that weakened Rep Democrat majority in the House that it's a uh, exercise to get some things done in some of these areas where we've struggled to find consensus. All right, let's talk about Operation uh, Warp Speed. And uh, the the media still refuses to give this president uh, credit uh, for what has happened uh, with these vaccines. In fact, some of them, like Como, are, are doing things to undermine uh, people's belief in these vaccines. Uh, how long is it going to take for this to wear off? Or are we going to be a country <clears throat> divided the way we are for for a long time to come. Yeah, I just really would invite people to stop that kind of thing. I want to remind everybody, uh, President Trump gets a lot of credit for this uh, famous point of stopping air travel back in, in January. But he did something even more important, which was the second the Chinese released the genetic description of this virus, COVID-19, he authorized NIH, National Institutes of Health, and the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, to immediately put up for competition a vaccine to meet that uh, definition. 
And uh, that was then backed up by the Congress with $10 billion to finance a lot of that R&D that got these trials speeded up. Something that might take years was able to be done with that taxpayer-supported money in just uh, the past uh, uh, you know, nine months, ten months. So Trump deserves a lot of credit for the vaccine and therapeutic uh, work and advanced in speed through Operation Warp Speed. There's just no uh, doubt about it. And his team does, including Vice President Pence. Yep. And the leaders at the FDA and the NIH, a lot of those people, you know, people have mixed opinions about them. I got all that. But let me tell you, when it came to the research and the logistics for this, it's just been amazing. We met just three weeks ago with the National Institutes of Health and the uh, military team in Operation Warp Speed that is preparing to support every state with this vaccine. Um, And as you know, there's a lot of logistic challenges. The Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at something like negative 79 degrees. Yes. Which means a a logistic distribution is very challenging. And most people are going to have two doses of some of these vaccines. And so that makes a logistic challenge. The Moderna vaccine does not have that storage concern. So I think we could end up with between one and four functioning active vaccines with good efficacy. And this Operation Warp Speed team led by the Pentagon and NIH is ready to go. I'm with you. And we're going to talk about that in the next half hour. I'll let you go and we'll talk to you again next Wednesday. Best wishes. See you. See you. All right. Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, don't forget about Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Call Eric Coleman. He'll take good care of you. 3000 Cavanaugh. That's where you have to go. If you'll go there, they'll take good care of you and find a, a, and devise a piece of jewelry that uh, will meet all of your requirements of for, uh, you know, your Christmas that is coming up. So uh, don't to forget about them uh, you can give them a call if you like and the number there is uh, 501-246-3655 okay we've got rush coming up let rush speak and then uh, i'll be back with my interview Moving to the six o'clock hour, and uh, Joe at uh, Joe's Garage is here, and uh, Joe's Garage over on Crystal Hill Road in North Little Rock. You'll want to get over there, or he's a great place to go as far as bumper to bumper certified service center. I've used him almost for two decades now. In fact, probably has been two decades now that I've been doing. I've been giving him my business, and you know why? Because he does a good job, and his people do a good job. That's why I continue to go over there. In fact, I've got to set up an appointment to go over and get the oil changed, the tires rotated. And uh, let me just start off with a question about my car. I'm driving down the road, and it feels like there's a little bit of jumping in the in the front end. I don't feel it in the steering wheel. I just can hear it. You know, I 
I drive the car every day. I, other people say they they ride in the passenger seat and they go, "What are you talking about?" I know it's there, so I guess I'm going to have to take you out for a ride. We can do that. It might be a little bit of a wheel bearing noise. It could be a little bit of a tire issue, the potholes and the curbs, and you know our roads are horrible. So. Yeah. Well, uh, we haven't we haven't done anything with the wheel bearings, and I'm thinking yeah. that perhaps that's what I'm 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 looking at. It's about time with the car, having the car for over ten years. It might be time to replace one. You can get a wheel bearing. The way these wheel bearings are made, they're called hub assemblies, and they're they're self-contained units. What I mean is, you can't take them apart and you can't pack them like you used to, Dave. They bolt on, they unbolt, and there there's no maintenance on them. But two problems you see with those wheel bearings. One, they can get loose. Right. There's no way to retighten them. Number two, the bearings will get wore and they'll make noise. And we've replaced some sometimes when we're doing alignment just because they have slack in them. It's enough slack that it'll cause the alignment not to be true. Okay. So, you know, that's the thing to do is check it for that and, and see what you got. See, I, I questioned. I, I put Ryan through the, the third degree the other day mm-hmm. on Saturday. Yeah. What about this? What about that? And he said, you know, it could be as simple as you threw a weight, Dave, and your co- one of your tires yes. is out of balance. Yeah, it's a possibility. So, and, and you know, you got to set it up for me to come over. I've, I've seen some cars come in and folks kind of complain about a little bit of a different feel and a vibration to it. And especially these cars today with aluminum wheels, uh-huh. they'll hit a pothole hard enough, the inside of the wheel will actually have dented. The wheel will be bent slightly. I've already done that. I understand. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> I've already done that. Now, we oh got my. a company that we use is called Alloy Wheel Repair, and they do a fantastic job. And, and, and they'll come to where, if, if you called them today and said, hey, I got a right front wheel that's got a little ding in it, they'll uh-huh. come over here to the parking lot fix it right out there, Dave. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It is. Those guys are really great. That's super. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll find out. You just tell me when I need to show up, sure, and I'll I'll get over to see you, and uh, and get it taken care of. Uh, I continue at every other uh, tank of gas. I keep putting uh, uh, that stuff in my tank that you told me, seafoam. Yeah, you said to keep putting that in keeps the, uh, you know the the injectors clean and stuff. Yeah, it does. It really helps. Okay, you know that's a fantastic product. I I got hooked on it years and years ago. I had a, um, actually had a Nissan Maxima in there, V6, been setting up for a long time, and got it running and everything, and and it, it was set there, and intermittently, you could see it start missing, and it quit, and it missed, and it quit, and yeah. injectors were hanging up because of the old fuel, and Seafoam salesman walked in. He's standing there waiting for me to get through what I'm doing so he can try and sell me his product, and and he asked me what was going on with it. I told him, he said, well, what if I, would you buy my product if I poured some of this in the fuel tank and it stopped doing that? Uh-huh. I said, I'm on. Let's watch. <laughs> and and we did it, Dave, and it actually helped. I saw it actually work with my own eyes. Well, I can't complain I, about I've it. I've been hooked been on it good. since then. So. Yeah, you know, it's that time for me to get in there, you know, with the, with the oil change and to getting the tires rotated and get new wiper blades on and, and mm-hmm. all of that. Need well, to get it done. Winter time's coming. So, yep. Yeah. Winter is coming. Where did I hear that from? Oh, yeah, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Winter is coming. Winter is coming. By the way, uh, Duck is not here with us at this time. We're hoping we'll hear from him, but 
let me just tell you he's out in the deer stand he may he may be really busy right now <laughs> yeah he may he may have a, a 10 point oh, yeah. right there in his his scope but i'm just telling you we hope to hear from him before the uh, end of the show here today give us a deer hunting report anyway yeah well yeah he'll tell if he's gotten some he'll tell <laughs> us about it. there's no doubt about it i'm going to join him saturday i'm going to let you fill in for me okay because I'm going to go up and sit in a stand up there with Duck. He's been right. he's been asking me to, right. so I will. And so it'll be you and David this Saturday. We'll be all right. Looking good? Yeah. Okay. Hey, let's talk about Bumper to Bumper uh, real quick here and, and what they do for you all in the Bumper to Bumper Certified Service Centers. You all work together. I mean, you're a family, correct? Oh, absolutely. That To be a bumper-to-bumper certified service center, there's a criteria, and you have to meet their criteria, and they only have, uh, I guess you would say, top-notch, honest shops, and, and, and that's what we strive for, to everybody to be on the same page and do the same kind of job quality work. And, of course, the parts we get are through bumper-to-bumper, and uh, they have a two-year, 24,000-mile warranty on the parts as well as the labor to install those parts. Uh, I had a customer in. We put a heat actuator in their Chevrolet Avalanche. Son went to um, Fayetteville starting school. And a couple of weeks later, had an issue with it. Called, and they said, what are we going to do? We don't want to go get the car truck. I said, you right. don't have to do that. I said, I'll give you some numbers of some bumper-to-bumper certified service centers up there. Got them shipped over to one of the guys up there. And apparently, they had the warranty department of labor and got it took care of didn't cause customer nothing it's the way it's supposed to work well sure and and that's why we're affiliated with them and and that's why we like to do business with them well we talk with uh you know jerry roca comes on from time to time talk a little bit about some other things that you have the whole towing thing and all of that well yeah they uh they have a, what to call a safe route which means if you are a uh, bumper-to-bumper customer and you've had your vehicle in and had it repaired for the next 12 months even if you had an oil change you can call the 1-800 number on that, or you can call, uh, there's two tow companies now, the the newest member of our radio show. Correct, over in Lone Oak. Yep. He's on it, and I think the one out there that Duck uses in Benton's on it. Okay. But they're local tow companies. If you call, and they'll direct you to them, but you get up to three free tows a year, three lockouts, three out of gas, three flats fixed, whatever you need, free of charge. All you have to do is call that number. And set it up, and you have to pay for the tow up front. But you send in your paperwork, and they'll reimburse you up to $75 per occasion for each any of those, even if you lock your keys in your car. And only because you use the bumper-to-bumper certified service. That's correct. Center. Absolutely, Dave. It's a fantastic program. It's a good deal. Yep. It is. It's a good deal. All right, let's get to the questions. All right. 2005 Nissan Maxima. Six-cylinder, 3.5-liter engine. So when I'm driving, it used to be, after about 20 minutes, a thin orange square outline around the D on the dashboard would start flickering. Now it does it right away. I could tell when the line was going to appear because I could feel a change in how my car drives. Now I would just think I have a short in the cluster, but I know when my car drives different. I did all three levels of automotive tech, so I know how to pay attention to a car, but that was 15 years ago. And that in car years, that's like 90 years ago, all right? (laughs) I do need to replace the bottom motor mount, but not sure if that could be the problem. All the fluids are good. Any idea? I absolutely have an idea. 
When that light flickers, starts flashing, it's telling you it's got a transmission code. That's why he said the car drives different. It's not shifting properly. Okay. It's detected fault code. He needs to do a code test on that to see what fault codes are in there. Uh, these cars today, the engine, the transmission, and all these, uh, even your ABS and your traction control, all that stuff communicate with each other. If one of them has a fault code and it's not working properly, it's going to bring other lights on. But a lot of times it'll flash a light to tell you you need to get it serviced immediately because there's a problem. That's trying to drive you back to the repair shop to get you to get it fixed because what's going on with it might be more. If you wait, it could cost you more to fix it. In, in other words, get out, get it fixed yeah. before you break down on the side of the road. Well, get it checked anyway. Yeah. If you keep driving it, it might be uh, you might cost yourself more money in the repair. Yeah, cause some pro- more yeah, problems. Exactly. All right. So something to keep keep in mind. Again, you've got lights that are flickering at you. Probably means something. They only call those idiot lights because the person reading it and are looking at it doesn't pay attention to it, and that makes <laughs> it an idiot light. Yeah. Because a light's a light. I agree. It's the person that's looking at it could become the idiot by not paying attention to I it. I agree with that. All right, got a question from Bryant. We got 96. Wow. We got to go back to the 1900s, 20, 20th yeah, century. For this. It is. 1996 Chevy, a K1500 Silverado, an eight-cylinder, five-liter engine. My truck only blows hot air. The uh, actuator feels like it's working, but the vents must not be adjusting. So what's my next step? I have the glove box and ashtray out. But no idea where to go from here. I'm going to tell you, you don't want to go well, any further. This is a common problem, the, the blend door actuator that blends the air conditioning air and the heat air together. Because if you set your your temp control, you know, on that one, it's probably a, a manual control. But it's still got a knob that's got blue and red on it, okay? And if you set the temperature to where it feels good to you, it actually opens the door, the actuator does, uh-huh. and blends in cold air with hot air to get the temp you want it only blows hot all the time is it's one of two problems either the actuator's not working or the actuator moves a door or the door is stuck or the door shaft is broke the door shafts and everything are made out of plastic or there's something obstructing it fell down in the vents and is not letting the door close all the way and it stays on the hot side so, you know, the way to check that, you can hook a scanner up on that, and you can get some HVAC control data on it, and you can actually work those doors with the scanner to see if they're working. It'll be from like zero to 100%. You, uh, you work them with the scanner, and actually you can go in there and, and remove, remove the glove box and stuff, and you can watch the actuator turn to see if it's working. And if it's working, and, the, and a lot of times we'll, if it's accessible, we'll take the actuator off and work the door by hand. Okay. Yeah, it'll depend on whether it's a passenger side or a driver's side. But he, he's going to have a problem in that area. And, and the age of that truck, a 96 model, says most likely the actuator's bad on it. Okay. Now, he says he thinks he can see it move. But I don't know if he can, Dave. Well, he doesn't say he can see it. He says the actuator feels like it's working. Well, he's probably maybe putting his hand on it. Now, it may be running. But it may not be moving the door, so. Yeah, so we yeah. got to see. Yeah. All right, so keep that in mind. Just know this. The last thing you want to do, if you got to be pulling out the, the dash, you don't want to be the one that does it. He doesn't. No, it, 
If if it is one that requires a dash removal, he does not need to take that job on. Yeah, it's a way above his head. <laughs> it's a, it's a six or seven hour job for and, somebody who knows what they're doing. And I, and Dave, there's a lot of times you can't beat that time, especially on an older vehicle like this. You're going to have some issue with the plastic and being careful with it, not to crack it and break it because the plastic's going to be brittle. Uh huh. And the older a vehicle is, the more tender you got to treat it when you move that remove that stuff, Dave. All right, so keep that in mind. We got about a minute left here during this segment, so I just want to talk to uh, Joe about for folks that are out there. Uh, as we spoke about, we're getting where you get up in the morning. Sometimes it's below freezing. Yeah, now's the time to make sure that your antifreeze is right. Correct? Oh, absolutely. Because you don't know in in a week and a half it may be ten degrees outside. Mm-hmm. And you know you might you might have enough antifreeze in your vehicle to keep it from freezing setting still, and if you check it and say, well, it's 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 down to fifteen degrees, you know, freezing's thirty two, right? But when you start that car up and you take off driving, that wind chill factor kicks in. It may it may be twenty degrees and you were good to fifteen, so you don't think it's going to freeze. But if you hold your hand out the window and it's 20 degrees and you go 30 miles an hour it feels like it's minus 10 or if you're out on 67 doing 80 yeah it's a lot colder that's correct what will happen is the water doesn't circulate through the radiator till the engine warms up so that water's stagnant in there well it'll ice that up and slush it up and then the thermostat open and the water can't flow so you see a guy on the side of the road with the hood raised up and the steam coming out it's because it froze going down the road couldn't circulate and the engine overheated all right, keep that in mind. Joe is here from Joe's Garage, and uh, I've got more questions for him. If you have a question, send it to Dave at SalemLR.com. Dave at SalemLR.com. If I don't get it to, until we're off the air, then I'll add it to our questions for the next week. So keep that in mind. And, yes, he'll be back next week. That'll be the last day of live programming because next week is thanksgiving yep it's turkey day yep of course it's prime rib day at my house (laughs) that's what we're gonna have all right take a break got more coming your way here on the dave ellswick show all right we continue on here on the dave ellswick show joe is here from joe's garage and uh they're over on crystal hills road you take that crystal hills exit off of uh, i-40 head uh away from well you don't want to don't head towards the water park head the opposite direction on uh, crystal hills road you'll find him on the right hand side can't miss it two huge american flags fluttering in the breeze That's right us. there in front of it you, you can't you can't miss it and yes when you walk in the office have your mask on we it's, participate yes, well, we that's have. part of yeah. the whole thing here in the in the state right now all right, I've got a 2001 Nissan Maxima. We talked about a 2005 a moment ago. This has got a six-cylinder, three-liter engine. Since I recently tried to follow a YouTube video, let me stop right there. Kenneth talks about this all the time, Kenneth Sullivan. <laughs> and he says, that's DIY. And people say, that's do-it-yourself that's not what Kenneth Sullivan says. He says that destroy it yourself. That's correct. You know, because what you are watching on YouTube may not pertain even to your car because that's a different car than yours. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be the same model and everything. It's still been driven differently and all the rest. Well, everything on the Internet is not gospel, Dave. I can tell you that. And this is my issue with this whole question right here. Why was he back probing the ignition condenser to check it? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you that. Yeah. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here's the rest. Of, I mm-hmm. stopped right after the first few words. All mm-hmm. right. Um, I, I, I followed a YouTube video and to check my ignition condenser with a voltometer. I grounded it at the negative battery post, poked one of the holes where the condenser is plugged at, and I heard a pop come from the battery area. I think it's where the ground was at. Mm-hmm. And after that happened, I replaced the condenser, and now the car cranks but won't start. Can you help? Well, you let all the magic smoke out. Well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but my, my, my initial question is, why? why was he doing this to begin with? Right. Was it not starting? Was it not running properly? Or what was going on? You just don't go out there and raise a hood one day and say, I'm going to check my ignition condenser and see what's wrong with it. <laughs> right. There's something else going on here. Now, the popping noise he heard over by the battery uh-huh. on that particular 01 Nissan Maxima over by the battery where the positive battery cable is. Right. There are some fuse links. Uh-oh. And that's probably what he heard pop. He shorted and blowed a fuse link. Now, he may not have had a bad condenser, but he created this problem. Correct. And he needs to check those fuse links over there by the battery real close. But I bet you he'll find one of them blown and replace it, and the car will probably start and run. Now, how well, I don't know, but there was a reason why he wanted to check it to begin with, and we don't get, like Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. We just got this end of it. So. Yeah, you just got this this little piece of it. That's correct. Yeah, so you're guessing, educated guess, yes. but you're guessing. Yes. You know, Kind of like what scientists do about... Yeah things that happened thousands of years ago the pop is is the key to this that that is that is a fuse blowing or a fuse link blowing that's what that pop is at okay yep so keep it in mind by the way that's also a good uh, reason for why when you send us a question here at the program include why you were doing what you're doing well it's kind of like the old story the car gets towed in day because it won't start okay right and we tow it in and we check it, and the starter's bad. Okay? Okay. So we put a starter on it, and after we put a starter on it, the engine cranks over fine. Because prior to putting the starter on, the engine wouldn't crank over. Now right. It cranks over fine. And we say, well, the fuel pump's out. Now, if the customer had told us the whole story about the reason why it wouldn't start is because, and why it wouldn't crank over, I was driving down the road, and the fuel pump went out, and it quit running. He doesn't know the fuel pump went out but it quit running right the starter crank the starter Tell being burned that. up the starter being burned up is because he sat out there and cranked on it till he burnt the starter up because right. it wouldn't start all right keep all that in mind it's <laughs> yeah. all it's all pertinent it is good information to have for the people who are working on your automobile yeah all right we'll continue we got news coming up let's get to that and then when we come back we will talk more here with joe at joe's garage over on crystal hills road on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's continue on here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. I want to go back to what you were talking about during the break. Okay. Um, we're not going to talk names of companies. I got you. But you had somebody call you up and said they got a 2019. All right. 2018. 2018. Okay, so mm-hmm. two years old. Okay. Yep. Still under warranty. Yes. Talk about what happened to them. 
Well, he's a customer of mine. We we service his vehicle, and he's got more than one. But he called me, and he said, well, Joe, let me tell you this story. I want your opinion. I said, okay. And he said, I went out to start my car, and he said, I turned the key, and it sounded funny. Made a kind of a really bad noise, and then I got smoke coming out from underneath the hood. And he said, I don't see anything leaking underneath it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tow driver come and got it and took it back to the dealership where he purchased it from. Because it's under warranty. Because it's under warranty. And it's out of the factory warranty, but it has an extended 100,000 mile for powertrain, which is the motor, the transmission, and things like that. Right. And so he gets a call from the, the, the dealership, and they told him, they said, well, we're going to have to put a starter on it first. Now, the starter's not covered under your powertrain warranty because you're about 3,000 miles out of your factory warranty. But it falls under the warranty of a powertrain warranty if there's something wrong with the powertrain. But they said the starter's bad. Okay, so powertrain is from the motor yep. back to the rear wheel, basically. Well, it's a front-wheel drive vehicle, so okay. it's all up front. But, all right. But it covers the motor and the transmission, and which is the powertrain, but it doesn't cover a lot of electrical components like the alternator and the AC compressor and power steering, pump and starter and stuff like that. Well, he asked me, he said, they want $700 to put a starter on it before they can tell me what's wrong with my car. I said, well, I'm going to tell you the truth about this is... You can't check anything on the engine if it won't crank over and start and run. You can't check the motor. You can't check the transmission. You can't check the power steering, the alternator, because it's not running. It has to run. And there ain't no hand crank on a motor today. That's right. So if the starter's bad, you're going to have to pay them to fix the starter. But this is the deal. If they put a starter on it and then they call you and tell you, well, something's come apart in the motor. Or there's something wrong with the flywheel going into the transmission area or something like that. I said, then you can say, well, all right, I didn't have a starter problem till I had that failure. And that failure is covered under powertrain. Correct. Right? So it's cause and effect. That's the cause. The effect of the starter being bad is because of that. Right. Then it will be a covered item. So he paused for a minute and he said, it's a very good idea. I'm going to call him and tell him to put starter on there. We'll go from there. I said, but if the starter itself just failed, you're going to have to leave it there and pay that price to get it fixed. Gotcha. Because uh, it, you can't tow it around. it's not covered. That's correct. And, you're, and you don't want to tow it around town if you tow it to someplace else, and then that's all it needed was the starter. You might save a little bit of money, but by the time you get it towed one more time, you're not going to save that much. Right. I think uh, probably around $500 would be what, in that range, would be what we would charge to put a starter on it. Mm-hmm. And they're wanting seven-something. Of course, their labor rate's higher than ours, plus they're putting on a factory part, too. That's correct. So it's going to be a little bit higher. But anyway, it helps to have the whole story. Oh, yeah. I promise you, if a guy calls and says, you know, my car was running great till the oil light come on, I tried to make it to the next exit. No. And now it has stopped running, and every time I turn the key, it won't do nothing. I don't even need him to tow it to me. He's already diagnosed what was wrong with it. Mm-hmm. He burnt the motor up because it didn't have any hole pressure. Right, right. <laughs> so it helps. But if you get those guys that want to give you a story about, well, that oil light flickered a little bit and did this, and I've serviced it, and then they drag this out, and it's towed in. you got a tow bill to get it there, and you've got a, a diagnostic fee for us checking it, which means we'll go out and we'll check the battery, the starter, and all that. If it's good, then we're going to put a... a, a, a a wrench on the front of the motor and see if we manually turn it right and it won't turn well it's locked up pull the oil stick out there's no oil in it it's self-evident what happened yeah it's seized yeah 
but you get a lot of people that won't give you all that information. Yeah, I know about this because it happened to somebody I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, well, it wasn't me. Uh-huh. All right, it was. I have a friend. Yeah, <laughs> but it, How's help, that one it for helps you? to give a truthful account of what had transpired because it's not going to change. I don't care how well you sugarcoat that story. It doesn't change what's wrong with that car because that car won't lie because it can't talk. I got you. That's it. All right. Bill sent us a question about a 2001 BMW X5. This is a 4.4i, eight-cylinder, 4.4-liter engine. He says he's got a faulty seat belt. Suddenly, I can't insert my belt into the receiver on the driver's side. There's a small metal tongue which stops the belt inserting. It can be moved back with a small screwdriver, and then it'll stay back, but comes back out when the seat belt is released. Any advice? He needs a new seat belt. Yeah. They don't sell any parts for those. Yeah, it, it's not like they break it down in the pieces. No, it, it, what you got going on here, all seat belts in today's world, depending on what year make and model it is, they do more than just restrain you. They have pendulums in them. So when you're, if you were trying to pull your shoulder harness out while you were braking, it would stop you, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you, if you let off and accelerate, you can pull it out and latch it driving down the road. Mm-hmm. Now, where it goes over there and it latches into the piece that you put the button on and to release it, they call that a pretensioner. Okay. All right. So what happens in this see sequence of events when you have a vehicle with airbags? If you have a collision, all right, the airbag's going to deploy, but they don't want you going forward. So what they do inside that little latch buckle thing, there is an, a, a little explosive device. All right. When it goes off, it pulls that belt back tight, cinches you back in the seat tight. It'll move about two or three inches. Wow. And it welds itself shut. I love this learning is a stuff. I'm learning of something a today. second, a yeah. fraction of a second before that airbag deploys. Si- almost simultaneously, that bag is coming at your face at, at 500 miles an hour. That seat belt is pulling you back. And it's doing that so the bag deployment doesn't hurt you. As yeah, bad. it doesn't break your face. And so when you go to buy that latch, you end up having to buy it, and if they don't have it in stock, you'll have to order it, and it comes ground because they will not put it on an airplane because it's got an explosive device in it. How about that? And what's wrong with his over years of pushing it in and releasing it, pushing it in and releasing it, it's got some contactors in there that tells the car when the belt's latched because if you drive your car and it's not latched, there's a good chance that the airbag will not deploy during a collision. Oh, that's not good. Because it could be more detrimental to you than the collision. Interesting. Yeah. No, I had no idea. That's I learned something today. Yeah. I really did. Because I knew that they, you know, the, the whole deploying of the airbag, the object is for it not to strike you. Correct. It's to restrain you. Yeah, and, they don't and want you, it you to got strike two, you. You got, you got the... The, the pretensioner is going to pull the seatbelt tight. I'm talking about tight, Dave. The pendulum is going to stop the ratcheting part from coming out, and that buckle down there is going to push back. It's going to move about three inches. Most of those buckles, if you look, i got a little rubber accordion thing on them. Yeah. That's what that is. It's to let it compact. 
and it'll pull you back tight in the seat and the bag will deploy at the same time or within a fraction of a second and 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 it actually helps cushion the blow of the bag a lot of times that's why you feel like you got beat up yeah and you can't release that after it deploys you actually a lot of times they have to cut the belt off it'll pull you back so tight that you can't push the button and release it and the emergency workers if you're in the car they'll take a a strap cutter and cut the strap off so you can get out yeah because they know they got you got to replace it anyway oh absolutely okay all right so i learned something hope you all learned something today too all right, let's uh, bring it up a little bit closer to today. I've got Tony, and uh, it's with an I, so I'm going to figure this may be a woman. If you're not, I'm sorry. I'm just going by the spelling of your name. 2013 Ford Edge Limited, six-cylinder, three-and-a-half liter. says, I've got a brake nightmare. Can you help? Start it with a rattling back caliper. There wasn't a small amount of pressure being applied like it should have, letting the piston come back and allowing rattle. Had that one replaced, no more rattle. Then I started to get a squishy brake pedal and hissing. Was told I needed master cylinder. They put in remain and uh, a reman and felt better, but then periodically I would have pedal drop that would come right back until one day it went completely to the floor and I almost couldn't stop. They said faulty part, put in a reman master cylinder number two, then the same problem. That shop gave up, and I took to another. They put in a reman master cylinder number three and started having the opposite problem. Now there is intermittent brake drag. Finally, they they tried a Ford OEM master cylinder because Ford suggested that was their problem. At first, it was working good for the first 20 miles or so, and then a sudden brake drag that subsided with brake pumping. Now they want to replace HCU unit, and I'm afraid that's not going to work. What do you say here, Joe? Well, two things. She starts off when she says, I push the brake pedal down, I hear a hissing sound. All right, now, the master cylinder's got brake fluid in it, and the, the, the booster on this is a vacuum-operated booster. And what you'll see sometimes is brake fluid will leak out of the back of that master cylinder, and it runs down into the brake booster, and it damages the diaphragm in the booster. If it gets in there and damages and makes that diaphragm soft, you can push the pedal down and let off of it, and it won't let it return all the way, and it'll create a brake drag. That's one scenario it could be, okay? The second scenario is... All of this started off, she said, when she had a caliper replaced. Correct. So there's, there's, there could be a possibility here that the wrong fluid was put in this and created some other issues. For instance, if, if they put the wrong fluid in it or at some time in its life it had been serviced and they put the wrong fluid in it, okay? What happens if you put, uh, like, power steering fluid in the brake master cylinder it's hydraulic fluid you think it's the same but it's not the rubber seals that are in the master cylinder are getting eat up plus the rubber seals that are in the analog unit and i think that's what she's talking talking about when she says hcu uh-huh. that abbreviation is not hitting me very good but i think she's talking about the analog unit and and if so it can swell the rubbers up in that and damage it and cause it not to let the brakes release but the first thing that jumps out at me here is the vacuum, the hissing sound, 
That tells me, I think, that the, the brake booster is going bad. Putting a master cylinder on it is probably not going to fix it. Uh, she's already had like three or four put on. Yeah, there. had her third one put on. I, I would be pulling that master cylinder off, and I'd be looking down inside that booster. I bet it's got brake fluid in there. I bet it's eat the diaphragm up, and that's why the pedal's not returning, and it's dragging, and it's holding the brakes on. That's just from what the information we have here. All right. We got two minutes, so let's get one more question sure. in. James has got a 2005 Pontiac Sunfire four-cylinder, 2.2-liter. So every once in a while, say every couple of days, my engine starts or it feels like it, then it turns off, doesn't start. But then the second time it starts and it's perfectly fine. Once the service light came on, but after it went away, but recently it's come back on after a no start. Well, there's a lot to be said about this one. It's an 05. Mm -hmm. We don't really have the mileage. Uh, the light coming on, it could be a it could be a code in there for a crank sensor or, or, or something like that. It could be I have a fuel pump issue intermittently working and not working. Uh, there's a lot to be said about this, and we don't have a whole lot of information to go by. But I would be looking if it's a no start for that year model, it's, because folks, you have to understand that it's not. Is my fuel pump going to go out? They all are. It's, it's when it's going to go out. Yeah, and and. 2005 that car's 15 years old yeah it's probably due for one it's probably got 150,000 miles on it or more so i'm saying hmm if it's a no start in the morning cold i'd be looking at that now the cold start in the morning cold if the pump is weak and not putting enough fuel in there it could cause the light to come on because the the o2s are saying we're lean might have enough fuel getting up there to start it but you can't really take off and drive it and it'd be kind of sluggish not have a lot of power. Those mm-hmm. lights, it's going to turn on the O2s. You're going to say, we're lean. We ain't getting enough fuel, but you're not getting enough fuel because the fuel pump's weak. Okay. Yeah. So you could have an intermittent working pump and non-working pump. We get them towed in. They won't start. By the time they get there, bounce around on the hauler, they fire right up. And and what we do to check those pumps is we graph them. We put an amp clamp around the power wire going to it, and every manufacturer's got to graph what that waveform should look like on that pump. And we see what we got, and we can say, well, we don't know if this is going to fix it or not because it's running right now, but I can tell you for sure that fuel pump's bad <laughs> All right, because the graph is, is way off scale. Okay? All right. Yeah. Joe's going to be with us for just a few more moments. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll finish up when we come back. Let's get the final segment here of uh, the Dave Ellswick Show for a Wednesday. Of course, this is a car day. Uh, so that we have in the last hour, we've got Joe and Duck typically here. Joe's here today. Duck's in the Deer Woods. He'll be back with us next week uh, on a Thanksgiving week, and it would be our last live hour uh, for the for the show. Gail has a 2007 Honda Pilot, an LX six cylinder, three and a half inch. Uh, three and a half inch, three point five yeah. liter. I just had Russell call me during a break, and he wanted to know something about some the width of my my uh, license plate holder in the front. Um, Gail says I hit a deer, and the body shop did about a four thousand dollar repair. The car was running fine, no lights on. When I had the accident, picked it up at the body shop, drove around two miles, and the VSA light and a red uh explanation point came on along with the check engine light 
The car started shaking horribly. It sounded like the motor or the transmission was going to come apart. I had it towed back to the shop. They don't do mechanical repair, but were able to connect it to a computer. They said the code it showed indicated the oil ports were clogged. They cleared the code and started the car. It started and ran fine for a minute or less, and the shaking and horrible no noise started along with the lights coming back on. Could a front-end collision come, cause some gunk to break loose and clog things up? Just makes no sense that this happened right after hitting the deer. Thank you. Yes. not The deer hitting the deer didn't cause it, Dave. Okay. <clears throat> Sludge build up in the engine is from lack of maintenance. And if you have a vehicle or a combustion engine that is sludged up and you start it and drive it every day, that sludge stays soft like tapioca pudding. Uh-huh. Okay. But if you park that vehicle that's all sludged up and you let it sit out there for a week or two or three weeks while somebody else is doing a body repair or let's just say sitting on a used car lot somewhere. Right. The, the sludge that's up in the top of that motor gets hard. It'll get dried out and hard. And, but, and then you start that engine up and it gets warmed up again. Well, that, that, that sludge that used to be real soft and slimy has got hard and crystallized. Those little crystals will break off. And guess where it ends up? In the bottom of the oil pan because that's where gravity says it's going to be. Okay. Guess what's in the bottom of the oil pan? The oil pickup screen. And if it collects enough of that little crusty debris, it'll restrict that screen. When it restricts that screen, it can't pump any oil because it can't suck no oil. Okay. Therefore, you can have a vehicle that is sludged up before it went into the body shop. Okay. Nobody knew about it. They sit there for two or three weeks waiting on parts, getting them in, and they fix it. And then they fire it up and... The customer drives off, it gets two or three miles down the road, the red warning light comes on for oil pressure, and the engine starts rattling because it's cavitating in the pump. That's how that happened, Dave. Okay. The body shop didn't create this problem. The owner did because she has not been changing oil on it properly because that's the only thing that'll cause the engine to sludge up is lack of maintenance. All right. So you drop the oil pan, you take out the filter, you clean all of that out there, but you're still going to have this problem now. How do you clean the inside of an engine out, or can you? It's very hard to do, Dave. You can take the valve cover off, oil pan off, and you can you can take a screwdriver and carburetor cleaner and 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 remove as much as that stuff you can with a spoon and a brush, and you're never going to get it all out. And then it'll require very frequent oil changes. But the problem is, has the engine been damaged? Right. Because of the lack of oil pressure on the two starts. All it takes is to score the rod bearing a little bit from lack of oil pressure, and, and it's ruined. It's never going to stop wearing after that. So right now, her, her her options are, and I tell most of my customers that come in, I say, now, you know, it's sludged up. I can't clean it all out. I can clean it. You might drive it a month and come back and say, hey, it's doing it again. I'm not warranting it. Mm-hmm. You want to fix it and fix it right, either rebuild the motor or put another motor in it. That's your only option to fix it right. Or if you like that model of car, go buy a new one. Well, you can do that too. <laughs> you know, but, may not want to, but that's the problem. But you got to fix. You got to fix what caused it. The lack of maintenance. Right. Yeah. I don't care what you drive, and, and if you go trade it off and get another one, or you put another motor in it, that's on the driver. <laughs> that's correct. I put a. I put a. I put a GM Goodwrench motor in a work van one time for a company. 
And I told him, I said, it's got a three-year, 100,000-mile warranty. They said, okay. Well, about nine months later, they brought that van to me, and we towed it in. He said, well, the lights came on, and it quit running. I said, okay. So we got it and checked it, and the motor was locked up in it. Uh-oh. Yeah. And I, I, I pulled one of the valve covers off, and it was full of sludge. So I called the owner, and I said, you know, it's back here. I said, he, he said, yeah, it's under warranty still. And I said, well, I understand that, but it's not going to be under warranty for this problem. He said, why is that? And I said, because nobody's changed oil in it. still got my oil filter on it. You drove it 36,000 miles. Never changed oil. You brought on the problem. That's correct. That's the way it works. Yep. Joe, thanks you for coming in and, and spending time. We'll do it again next Wednesday. Duck will be here as well. And Thanksgiving will just be right around the corner. Yes, sir, Dave. All right. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate you. That's it for today. See you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. J.R. Davis and Seth Mays started all off with us. And we'll, we'll probably have some other people join us along the way the rest of the day here on the Dave Ellswick Show.